As we wrap up the sermon series, Blessed Today, we focus on part eight. And Jesus shares with his disciples a reality that Christians will face. And my thought to you this morning is the text that we're going to look at, we may feel like, does it apply to us? Is it outdated, if that were possible? And I would say to you before I even show it to you that it's not outdated and it does apply to each and every one of us to different degrees. And uh, my hope and prayer is that you do not have to experience it to a great degree. But Jesus sitting on a hillside, giving the Sermon on the Mount, says to those listening, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you remember the very first beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now here as we look at the last beatitude, we see once again Jesus closing the thought with, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Each and every one of these beatitudes, a way of thinking, a way of being, a way of living, something that we look deep within ourselves to make sure that we are striving through the power of the Holy Spirit to embrace in our lives, remind us again and again that at the end, when it's all over and the Lord returns, the promise is that no matter what you face, what you go through, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Isn't it a wonderful thought that keeps a hope in our heart no matter what we see taking place in our lives, in the lives of our family, the lives of people in this world and the things that they go through? Blessed are those who are persecuted. The last thing that we call a blessing is persecution, right? I don't want it. But yet Jesus says there is a blessing in it. Now, not just a blessing for any kind of persecution. People go through all types of persecution. But he specifies here, you are blessed by your Father above. His hand of favor is not only around you, it is upon you. Whenever you are persecuted for righteousness, righteousness in line with the truths, the grace, the mercy, and the love of God's Word. Whenever you endure, persevere, do what is right, Jesus says, When you face opposition for those things, you are blessed. Blessed. And yet Jesus tells us, Matthew 24, verse 12, that the hearts of many believers will grow cold. They don't persevere because 
of the wickedness that's around them. And I would say to you, there is nothing more important in your life than your walk with Jesus Christ, your reliance on His truth, His Word. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. He is the unique Son of God, and in His words are truth. And when we find ourselves standing on those truths, even buried in those truths, we will be most able, through the Spirit that He's caused to live in us, to persevere, to endure, to keep our hearts from growing cold. It's a scary thought that the hearts of many, the hearts of many will grow cold. Today, this evening, look up Matthew 24. Read it. Look at it in context. Be challenged, encouraged, convicted by it. And then make a decision to be in God's Word daily. Make a decision to cry out to the Lord in prayer daily. Make a decision to be committed to the kingdom of God and your church daily. Because we are growing into times where the things of God are less important. Persecution thought by many that have experienced it, especially uh, outside of our country, believes that eventually it is even happening now, coming to our country. I want to share a quote from a pastor that stayed in prison for two years in Turkey because he was accused of trying to be a part of a movement that was overthrowing the government. And he was in prison, and he went through all the abuse and all the persecution, just brutality, and was finally freed and is back in America. But I would set before you that this promise that we're going to see from Peter and Paul about persecution in Christians' life is truly something that is said will come to all of us in various degrees. Uh, it seems to me that uh, it will probably be our, our grandchildren that are going to get the brunt of it in time, but it may be our children. How will you stand up against the wave of persecution if it comes in your life, threatens your life, how will you stand up? How will you survive? How will you react? You know, we have to have on our radar, Lord, please protect me. Build that hedge around me. Protect and guide, guard me from evil. But, you know, Peter, the great apostle Peter, I'm sure he felt the same way, but what? 
was crucified and upside down at that because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Non-biblical literature tells us that Paul was beheaded and the list just goes on and on and on of Christian persecution. You can go back to ancient documents, non-Christian and Christian documents showing that the early church, there was so much persecution and brutality. And we see it in Scripture. We hear of probably the most famous martyr that is recorded in history is Polycarp. A person that grew up believing in Christ, uh, was a devoted and dedicated Christian, and finally, at the age of 86, they were going to tie him to a stake and burn him alive if he would not recant his faith. And he said to them, you don't have to tie me to the stake. And I'm not going to recant my faith. The fire that you create lasts only for a little while. But God's fiery judgment will never be quenched. May God's will be done. That is an incredible testimony in history. I could not see myself feeling that way. You would have to tie me down and nail me to that stake. But here is a man that was burned alive at the age of 86. And what a great example for being the first martyr. He was at that age in his life, near the very end of all the original apostles. And in transition, God brought up a man that would be that faithful. Listen, persecution in varying degrees is a reality. It's going to be a growing reality. And as I continue to stress, it may be in various degrees. Here we live in this country, and most of us, you know, we might get refused coffee at a certain business because we're Christians. That's not too bad of persecution as far as I'm concerned. But worldwide, Christians are being cast out of their homes. Their homes are being burned down. Men and women are being crucified. They're being burned alive in jail cells. They were being drowned as well. They're being cast on spikes. There is persecution around this world, but we live in the great country of the United States of America, and yet we've not experienced that degree of persecution. Praise God. What will your response be? Are you preparing your children? Are you preparing your grandchildren? And how do you do that? But prepared we need to be. Here is the article written by the Christian Post just last Wednesday. The Washington Examiner reported that Pastor Andrew Brunson said he was astounded at the speed with which the U.S. is imploding and that he predicts persecution of Christians will follow. 
Brunson is the evangelical Presbyterian missionary to Turkey who spent two years in a Turkish prison. According to the examiner, Brunson said, First of all, I think it's coming to the U.S. that there will be persecution. I was isolated for a few years, and coming back to the States was almost like coming back to a different country in many ways. I am astounded at the speed with which I think the U.S. is imploding. There are a number of issues where it seems that it's no longer enough for a person of faith to get along with or to serve or to treat well someone they disagree with. And I think that the political business, media, celebrity class, and also academia, it seems that there's much more of a demand that people approve of, that they validate, that they celebrate the things that they actually disagree with. I think he sums it up pretty accurately. We cannot take for granted because we live in one of the greatest countries in history in many ways that we will never experience persecution and to a severe degree. And so this morning as we think of Jesus' words, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I just pray that you can plant in your mind and your heart and deep within your spirit, Lord, help me, give me strength, no matter what is to come, no matter what I must face. Let me experience what I must, what you determine, because of my righteousness, my Reflecting who you are and what you desire. Standing up for it. Championing it, Lord. That's what I want. And I always know that I will be in your kingdom one day. This is what he says here as he concludes. Persecution is nothing new. The thing is that we in the West have not experienced persecution very much. It's very unusual for a Westerner to be arrested for his faith. So we haven't experienced it, but I think we're going to. And I think it's coming to this country. How many years has it been that it's been said of Christian ministers that one day if they speak out against sexual immorality and the genders that God created, the value of an unborn child in a mother's womb, that it would be considered hate speech. Now that's been going on for about 10 years. That's that's the tone and that is the mood. If you speak against abortion, if you speak against homosexuality, if you speak against the idea that there's more genders than male and female, if you speak out against just morality in general, that there will be a point that it will be considered hate speech. I believe personally that time will come. I don't have a say of the Lord, but I have the Scripture. And you see many, many people. 
besides this one minister that's experienced such brutality and persecution simply because of his Christian faith. Think about it. Christian faith is a faith that is grace-centered, a faith that loves, a faith that keeps no record of wrongs, a faith that says it's important to freely forgive, a faith that says if someone slaps you in the cheek, turn him the other one, a faith that says if someone takes your coat, you know, walk a mile with him down the road. Just that's what's being attacked. Jesus said, if they hate me, they will hate you. Jesus goes on to say, as he highlights a little bit more on this eighth beatitude, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. If they're going to be critical, and if they're going to insult, and if they're going to attack, you want it to really be because of your love for the Lord. And Jesus says, it will come because you love me. I am the light. I expose the darkness. And the darkness runs from the light. Well, the darkness also attacks the light. As Jack said, they attacked Christ himself and brutalized him, nailed him to the cross. But in verse 12, you always see Jesus, Peter, or Paul say, this is what the world will do. But this is to be buried deep within you, and this is your response. When this happens, this is the response. Rejoice and be glad. Not retaliate, not fight back, not defend yourself, not run, but stand in the grace and the strength and the power and the sovereignty of the living God and rejoice and be glad. These are ways of looking and preparing hearts and minds and spirits. In the book of Hebrews, we have literature there where people were thrown to wild animals. And those people were torn apart. They were sawn in half. They were cast before wild dogs. In Nero's persecution of the early church where they believed that's where Peter died, was crucified upside down... He probably burnt down Rome, or 70% of it, blamed it on the Christians, and the community already did not like Christians, and so it got the focus off of him and onto the Christian community, and many of them were crucified, and many just tied the stakes, lit on fire, to provide light for the evening darkness. If any of those things happen to you, If any of them happen to your loved ones, your children, where is your faith going to be? What is your response going to be? 
I'm telling you, unless you're centered and grounded in the Word of God, it will be, God, how could you allow this to happen to my little boy, my little girl, the person I love, my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad, my grandparent? How could you allow this, God? I don't see you as a God that's in charge. I don't see you as a God of love. You have deserted me and all my life I've been faithful to you and your love for Him grows cold. That's where it can go. If we are expecting in our Christian faith to be some kind of hedge from the physical persecution that we all may face at different times and in different ways. I pray that we can be the Polycarps, that we can be the Peters, that we can be the James. I'm praying that we could be, you know, the Pauls. I don't know. I don't know myself. I know what I desire. I know what I hope. But I also know If I have not set apart, deeply set apart Christ as Lord, if I don't love Him so, so much, if I don't see that He is everything, it will be so easy to abandon and turn my back on the Lord when persecution comes. Would I stand up here and tell you at a sermon, if it had been outlawed, that homosexuality, marriage between a man and a woman, is depraved. If you do that, Patrick, you go to jail. I hope I would do it. I might have John preach that Sunday, but I hope I would do it. (laughs) Sort of lighten the mood here just a little bit. But I'm serious, would I do it? Would you do it? Would you speak forth and shine like a star in this dark universe and trust in God's sovereignty? Whatever God wills for you, if it's His will, then you can accept it because it furthers His cause in you and in this world. Will you stand up against it? And I pray and hope that we do. But we've got to be careful that we don't get soft. We've got to be committed. There's an old saying by Alexander Campbell when it talks about churches and the power of the church and the commitment to the church that churches begin in caves and they die in cathedrals. They begin in weakness because everything is about trusting in God and they gather, but then we get so wealthy and so secure in ourselves, and we build and we build and look what I've done and many just die in their own accomplishments. Blessed are you when people insult you. Now probably for most of us the worst here is maybe someone called you a Bible thumper. Now that's been I'm dating myself but I've been called a Bible thumper. Okay, so what? You noticed. I'm in the scriptures, you know. Maybe people roll their eyes. Maybe people say, you know, Diane, she really uses the... 
Christian faith is a crutch. She must be spiritually weak. It's been said of Christians. Maybe you've been persecuted at work by not getting the advancement in the company. You may not even know it. They just like, no. Maybe family members you're at odds with because, like the pastor said, you won't accept and agree with the choices they're making in this life. So it's caused tension. And it's sort of messed up the family dynamic. And it's even more dysfunctional than what it was. But we have to take a stand, church. We have to do it in humble boldness. We have to do it because we love the Lord. We have to do it because it's what He's given us to do, to not hide our light under a bushel, but to lovingly, in the right context and the right setting and the right movement of God in our lives, to speak out. So when it comes, rejoice and be glad. And here's the reminder, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, persecuted, persecuted. Jeremiah is known as what? The weeping prophet. Not just because he always was having to pronounce God's judgment against the people of Israel, but the things that were happening to him in response to God's word being shared. Are you ready? How will you handle it? And maybe even more importantly, how are you responding to Jesus Christ right now in the way you're living your life while you're not being persecuted? Second Timothy 3, Paul writes, because he experienced severe persecution. You, however, he says, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Well, Paul, you just said you endured them. How can you now say he rescued you from them? Because the rescuing is a spiritual reality, not a physical reality. Paul knew that and could say this. And so must we. We cannot tie God's rescue always to our physical reality. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Not some of them, not part of them, not one or two of them, from all of them. In fact, Paul says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So, if you're teaching the Christian doctrine and you're in a public venue, and you, in humility, say, I believe 
that the Bible is the Word of God. It's inspired, it's living, it's active, and it is for all time and all generation. It doesn't change, it doesn't need updated, it is a thus saith the Lord. And on that, like Joshua, I stand and my family stand. And there's two genders. There's male and female. God created them that way. What happens? No matter how nice you say it. But unless somebody says it with the love of God, if God's taking you down that road to say it, how will they know? How will they know? And as I said a few weeks back, sometimes we get it in our head that we're not supposed to say the hard things. We got to say the nice things. And we all want to be nice. We all want to be liked. But what about the prophet that was persecuted and his name was John the Baptist? Got his head to deliver to Herod on a platter because Herodias' daughter danced well. What an event to cost you your head. What did he do when he was out near the Jordan baptizing people? And he saw Pharisees and Sadducees and soldiers and people coming to him. How did he? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath of God? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. God, through John the Baptist, is calling people, whoever they may be, before John ever had a relationship with 99%, you've got to change. You've got to produce fruit showing that you are truly repenting in relationship to your God. And how do you know what God wants you to do and what God wants you to be and what is righteousness or righteous? God's Word. And that's why we have to be in God's Word so that we're exposed to it. Someone says, well, I just don't feel it. I'm feeling a little off. I'm not feeling very close to God. It is because you are not in God's Word and you're not praying to Him. I guarantee you it. Don't talk to God. Don't depend on Him. Don't rely on Him. Don't pray to Him. And don't get in His Word daily. And you'll start to drift. I don't care what anybody says. You will start to drift. This isn't a game we're in. This is life and death. It cost Jesus his life. He died for the guilty. So that we might live through him. And we are called to die to self. It's not a game. We've just, in many ways, become soft. We live in America. Church is something we do. 
Like we take vacations or we go visit family or we play with... It's something we do, but it's not what defines us. It better be what defines you. Your relationship with God better be what defines you. I want to be a great papa. And she wants to be a great doo-doo. I'll have to explain the name later on. And I want my grandchildren... But what defines me is, I hope, my love for the Lord. Not Patrick's preached for 33 years. They know that's nice, but he loves the Lord. That's a genuine, I I love you, Lord. I don't care if anybody else knows what you do, and that's all counts. Commitment to the Lord. Not just a thing. Church isn't just a thing. Thing that we can throw in and add. And yet that's the way that it's being looked at throughout our country. But in other countries where the church has to go underground just to survive, it appears by everything that you read that the faith is strong and the church is growing. I may have shared this with you, but I just found it fascinating. I'm met with G.S. Lama. He's the pastor of the Nepali church that meets here at 1, one to 4 o'clock in the Student Ministry Center. And we were talking, and he was asking me about, you know, what direction you're going, what are you preaching, and just talking as ministers. And I said, so what, what are you preaching on? What's, where are you going? Oh, Patrick, I'm coming up with a series on Commitment. My, my people, they just, they're here one week and I might not see them for three or four weeks and then they show up and pop in and pop out. And Now, with that said, people's lives are busy. We travel. But the commitment to the Lord's church Across this country. Even in the Nepali church. I've got to speak about commitment. I've got to speak of the Hebrews passage. Don't give up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. But draw together. Look to God, worship Him, and all the more as you see the great day approaching, whether it's the great day of Sunday worship or the great day of the return of the Lord. I don't know, but the people of God draw together in commitment, seeing themselves as brothers and sisters in the Lord and in a battle, a spiritual battle of life and death. And we take nothing for granted, or we shouldn't. But go speak out and use your life like Paul used his life, and you will find that the opposition is real. I just got to say a little bit more about the gender. And I'm not wanting, you know, that you leave here and you go, okay. 
but they've got so many different gender things going on, it, it's even hard to know which alphabet letter to use. And people saying, I've got to tell you this one. Now, you're gonna, don't judge me or I'll judge you back. <laughs> they had a cow day at Chick-fil-A. And I went in to meet with a, a missionary friend. Got to see B.J. George and talk to Beth. And uh, they, you know, they were there for the free food because it was cow day. If you dress up like a cow, your food is free. And there I am. I thought it was the day before. And I didn't have a cow costume anyway. So I thought, you know, I'm, I keep up with what's going on in the world. So I genuinely walked up. The young girl said, what can I help you with? Well, I say, here it's cow day. And I want you to know that today I identify as a cow. I'm serious. And I went moo. I got my food free. I'm going to tell you, church, we might be able to use this against them. But I'm serious. I got my food free. Dave Hopkins, I wish you could have been with me to see it. You'd have been mooing too. I know, and so do you, that there are a minority of people that really may be confused. Genetics, I don't know. It's above my pay grade. God has to figure it all out. But I do know that 99% of the people, they know what they are. You're a man or you're a woman created in the image of God. And you can't let go of a biblical truth like that. You'll be persecuted. Now, someone says, well, that's not very sensitive. And you know, that's, you want to you be sensitive. But being sensitive to someone in exchange for, with the help of God, being gentle as possible to speak truth lovingly for them to consider. That's the direction I'm going. I met with a young lady, it's been years ago now, probably six or seven, who was a lesbian. And I just thank God for this experience in my life because I've never experienced something like this. She goes, a lesbian. I come to your church, I, I worship with you. And Is that okay? And I said, well, you can come and worship and we're glad to have you. We all start at different places but I want you to know this is what Scripture says because you've asked me to tell you what I think Scripture says. And I said, first, instead of getting mad at me, let's look at the Scripture and I'll give you something to look at and then you, you, you go to God with it and see. And her words were, when she left that meeting, I was mad as hell at you. 
was mad as hell at you. And, and that was apparent. And I always think about Paul's Galatians 4, 16 and 17. It's just always been with me because that's what was happening. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul still told the truth whether it cost him a friendship. Telling the truth is more valuable and important than a friendship. It was to Paul. It was to Jesus Christ. Three months later, she wanted to meet again, and I thought, oh boy. Because these things aren't easy. They're always uncomfortable. You want to be liked. Now she's going to dish on me. She said, I was convicted. I was mad at you. You know that with what I said, and God's changed my heart. God changed my heart. And I no longer have the same desires. And I was like, this is fantastic. And it was all because of God and look at God's word and this is what I see scripture saying, but you've got to see what God says to you and you've got to work it out so that you're not blaming me, blame God. The truth in love. Attitude has to be right. Is always more important than a friendship. I had a close friend named Bill, Nashville, Tennessee, who I didn't even realize was cheating on his wife. I just thought it was they were fighting all the time. And Danielle had a friend. She worked at the Woodmont Hills Church of Christ, and so did Bill's wife, and they were friends. And somehow we were always having them over at our house at the same time, only to finally realize that they were using us to cheat on their spouses with each other. That's how naive we were. So I met with Bill and said, Bill, you got, we can't do this. You, you can't, you got to leave her, her alone. I can't do it. I won't do it. Bill, you've got to leave her alone. I would rather have her than go to heaven. And that's really where his heart was. And he had some perversions besides that. And in love, I said, Bill, I, I've got to break relationship with you. I just trust you around my kids I sure don't want you around my wife I trust my wife wholeheartedly but uh, uh, you know truth in love and gentleness and kindness is more important than friendship and you will become the enemies of people no matter how gently you tell the truth. Or how firmly, even to John the Baptist, there's a time that you've got to be firm. I'll give you one more example. 
good friend. Now, they've moved away, and they're not in this state, and him and his wife are even divorced now. He cheated on her. But he came to me and was feeling like, I just don't feel close to God anymore. I feel like God's let me down. Uh, my job has been ended, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Used to be a deacon in a church, you know, within the Detroit area. And I'm sitting there at Logan's, listening to him. And it's just like, okay. Here it goes, Lord. I said, you've got to be kidding me. You've sat here and told me you lost your job, but they gave you six months severance pay. Your wife just graduated and is now a nurse and already has a job and she's not even walked through graduation yet. And God's let you down how? Galatians 4, 16 and 17. That's what I'm thinking. Because I've been there many times in my ministry. Just have. He, he's like, you're right. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I didn't expect this reaction. But inside, I'm like doing gymnastics. Like, he's not hating me. He's like, it convinced. You're right. Why am I whining? I, that's what you're, I'm trying to tell you. Why? He realized that God was blessing him. And yet he was a womanizer. We take the goodness and the kindness and the blessing of God. And we can't even be faithful in the smallest things to our spouses. Can't stay off of inappropriate crap on the internet. Can't keep ourselves from gossiping and tearing somebody down and justifying it with, well, you know. When you live the life out loud in faith, in gentleness and in love, but with humble boldness, and stand for God on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you're going to get hit at different times. You're not going to always be received well, but sometimes it will be. And people's lives will be transformed and changed. But that's all in God's hands. 2 Corinthians 11. Listen to Paul. Now, here's the guy that's told us this is the way it is. Now, this is what it cost him. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Pretty severe. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. How have you been in danger from a river? What's it going to do to you? 
He's been in danger on the river. There's people lurking, looking for him. In danger from bandits. In danger from my fellow Jews. In danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. In danger at sea. In danger from false believers. Why? Because he is living his faith out loud. He is a light that is shining in the darkness. He is not covering up his faith, but he is standing up and speaking the truth of God so that people can be exposed by the truth through the Spirit and hearts may be drawn to the Lord. We've got to live our faith and not slump or shy away, not shrink. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Now, is there anything that Paul has left out in the persecution in his life because he's lived for the Lord? And none of us, I don't want to go through that, but he went through it. And you may go through it and you need to be prepared without going, God did not rescue me from these things because Paul has just said he's rescued me from each and every one of them spiritually. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding in all of your ways. Each and every one of your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Psalms, chapter, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Here's what Peter, how Peter says it. Peter and Paul, right? One died on the cross, the other was beheaded. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Now, Peter is probably talking about this Nero persecution and what's going on in Rome. But we see that this is a test. And most of the time when one is tested, it is by God. And when one is tempted, it is often by the evil one, Satan. So there is this fiery trial that seems to be God-ordained for His purpose, which we find out in the book of Acts when the church was under persecution, exploded with growth. As though something strange were happening to you. Nothing strange is happening to you. This is the way God works in the Christian fellowship at various times for different reasons, God is sovereign. We may never know all the reasons why or any of them, but God is moving and working. But here is your response when it happens to you, to us. But rejoice. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. You know, you, you endure it. You praise God through it. You give credit to who He is and you leave this life and are carried away into the heavens by His holy angels. And on the day of the coming of the Lord, when you receive your spiritual body and you enter His gates, you do it with what? As the song goes, thanksgiving and overjoyed because you persevered. 
you endured. You remained faithful. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Someone just insults you because of Christianity or your Savior. You don't have to get mad. You don't have to get angry. What you do is you know you're blessed. and God's grace and spirit rests. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal. So here we see the suffering and persecution that comes in our life should not be for unrighteous things. Or even as a meddler. We don't talk about that enough. That could be a whole sermon on meddling, being a busybody. Stop it. Stop it. You don't need to know. It opens the door for Satan. However, if you suffer as a Christian, you don't have to be ashamed. But what? Praise God that you bear the name. Put me in jail for speaking the truth. Praise the name of Jesus. He's coming back. You know, as Polycarp would say, flames last but a little while, but the flames of judgment of God last for eternity. You can do whatever you want with this life, but you can't kill my spirit. God owns that. It's His. A couple more admonitions, and then we're going to close. I know I'm going a little bit long, but I, I want you to go out into this world and shine. Therefore, in all of this, don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. We're just, you know, we're growing old and there's opposition and there's struggle. And But inwardly, by the Spirit of God, you're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What's coming for us and what is here, there's a big difference. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. We know what is in store for those that love the Lord. And this last one out of Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. To the church of Smyrna, John writes, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. There it is again, tested. And I just believe it's God doing the testing, God allowing his believers to be thrown in prison for his purpose. For ten days, ten is an apocalyptic number that basically in general means for a specified amount of time, a complete number. For ten days, you will have what? Tribulation. I mean, that word, that's a little harder than fiery ordeal or insult. Tribulation. You will have tribulation. And then what is his final admonishment here? But be faithful unto death, if that's what it costs you. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Brothers and sisters, mature Christians and those just beginning their walk with the Lord. 
put your life in his hands and live for him within your families, within your workplaces, whatever you do, speak the name of Jesus and share where you can share so that his truth goes out and lives, the lives that he knows, will be drawn to him and changed. Would you stand with me? Father, as we get ready to continue our time of praising your name and worshiping you, we just love you. We thank you for Jesus and especially, Lord, your scriptures that that point us to things to be aware of and, and to prepare as best we can in our hearts. If there's anybody here, Lord, that's ready to recommit, to repent, to really put you as the center of their life or to to be baptized, Lord, to make that commitment to obey the gospel call to repent and be baptized. Whatever it is, we are here for them. We pray that they will respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us worship the Lord. Imperfect.